0: So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let me give us a quick rundown of where we've been. Last week, we looked at the idea from Scripture that Paul is tackling the Corinthians and the strife that they're having in the church and the division they're having in the church and all the problems they're having in the church because of... What they would argue is worldly wisdom and how they want to bring in the philosophy of that world into Christianity. And they're arguing about who they want to follow. Do they want to follow Paul? Are they going to follow Apollos? Are they going to follow Peter or maybe others? And they're all divided up in the church. And you got to remember, Paul spent 18 months planting this church and teaching this church. And then we know that several other men of God came through to teach them. And now Paul has received word uh, in a letter with questions from this church along with um, conversation with Chloe uh, that this church has a great deal of strife and division mainly centered on who are we going to follow, whose methodology are we going to follow. And Paul is coming in saying the world's wisdom is worthless because the cross and Christ crucified is folly to those who do not believe. And so he's challenging them on that. And then last week we learned that not only is that a critical problem for them, but not having the Spirit means you can't understand spiritual things. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you will never understand the things of God. And it is God that first initiates this thing of salvation um, by allowing you to understand your need for Christ, for God. It is the Lord who initiates this, because God is undiscoverable and unknowable without the Holy Spirit. And then, um, after reminding them that the spiritual person understands, understands spiritual things, but the natural person, those without the Christ cannot, he moves into very familiar territory. Basically the same sermon we've been preaching. And we're going to keep preaching it because Paul keeps preaching it. And so we move into chapter 3, verse 1, and Paul says this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh." So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray you would show us Christ, teach us from your word. We need eyes from the Spirit to see this. May we lay down um, our strong opinions, and God, may we be a church that is united around the gospel. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You've got to love the way Paul starts here. No doubt that there were some leaders, if not all, leaders, who had written the letter to Paul in which he is going to respond to this letter with his own letter. Um, but he starts out by reminding in just the end of chapter two, that um, spiritual people can understand spiritual things, but natural people can't understand anything. And then, in what has to be we just don't understand, we, we've lost an understanding of how strong this language is. he says, "But I, brothers." could not even address you as spiritual people, but as flesh, as infants in Christ. Well, that had to sting. These guys thought, we're going to write a letter to Paul, and Paul's going to solve this problem for us. And Paul says, you bunch of babies. That's what Paul says, you bunch of people living in the flesh. They were all touting their wisdom and all their grandstanding and the arrogance of whose camp is smarter, and Paul had already railed on their idea of wisdom and how foolish the world's wisdom is, and then after telling them that natural people can't understand the things of the flesh or understand the things of the spirit, he then calls them people who are causing all these divisions within the church, Um, he calls them fleshly people. Can't even address them as spiritual people going to have to talk to you. I'm going to have to talk to you like I would talk to a bunch of unbelievers. But then he adds this on the end, "As infants in Christ. He isn't calling them unredeemed, but he sure is getting close. He's getting close. And so he tells them you are just infants, just babes in Christ. And before you think that's a term of endearment, it's not in this passage at all. He's saying you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be a babe in Christ anymore. I spent 18 months with you Other people have spent time with you and several years have passed by and this is what you're arguing over. It's not a term of endearment at all. He's saying you should be more mature than this. But you are acting like a bunch of unbelievers. And he said, while I was there, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now... All this time has passed. Even now, you are not ready yet. For you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? It's a strong passage strong language from the apostle Paul to those very people that he led for 18 months. I wonder when you look at this passage and he identifies them as people that are still acting as unbelievers. I believe they are believers. I think Paul makes that clear, but they're acting as unbelievers. And he says that they're acting that way because there's jealousy and there's strife among you. And I've heard people use this passage for various arguments. I just want to keep us in context. The context here is who do we follow as a leader? What group do I, who do I follow? We have all these camps. Who do we follow? There's all these people jockeying for positions of what Christianity should look like. Different people are bringing in wisdom from other philosophers outside of Christianity. And and we're trying to figure out who, who do we follow? Who do we go after? How do we act? And that's created jealousy and strife. If you grew up in church... You've been there. Jealousy and strife over who we're following is evidence of immaturity, not of godliness. It's interesting, Paul never picks a camp. He says, You're all immature. Because after all this time, this should not be happening. You should be on the solid food. You should be doing things that matter. And instead, you're writing me letters about which leader do I follow. I just wonder. I want you to walk with me. By the way, I'm fired up this morning. <laughs> so it's gonna be a long day. I'm fired up, and you'll find out why, because I had a conversation with a fellow pastor the last couple days that has just angered me, I believe, in a righteous way. And you're gonna be the recipients of it. So I apologize. But I wonder, we're a young church, this morning in the focus class, I calibrated us a little bit, I tried to fine tune us just a little bit on some things, and I want to make sure I finely tune us some more on this as we grow as a church. So I just want you to walk with me here. I just wonder if our passionate debates that we have on theology... And the amount of energy that we spend studying and defending and propagating our theological camps. And when I'm speaking to this, I'm talking about non-gospel-centred issues. Non-gospel-centred. I'm not talking about the deity of Christ or the resurrection or the cross. I'll say this. This may make some angry, but I'm angry today too, so... 90% of our theological debates are not on essential gospel things. They're not. And I believe, if you walk with me here, I just wonder if all of our energy and passion is not evidence of our maturity. It's not evidence of our growth in the Lord, but rather our immaturity and our fleshiness. Paul says people who behave like that are merely human. That's strong. Here we are with this church in Corinth with people arguing over which leader to follow, who has a better leadership gift or speaking gift. As we've learned, that clearly I believe, and I think Scripture would teach this, that Paul um, wasn't probably the most gifted preacher, uh, but apparently Apollos was. Uh, He was gifted. And I believe that maybe they argued over who had the better speaking gift, and I believe, we, I think we will find as we studied this letter, that this even spilt over to the spiritual gifts. Which spiritual gift is more important? Meaning which person in the body was more important. You see what they're aiming for as a church? Who do we follow? Who should lead us? What methodology do we use? What gift is better? What speaker is better? What style is better? This is what this church is arguing over. Before you think to yourself, well, that's stupid, we are still arguing over it. Not much has changed. Not much has changed from the debates of Corinth. Today's debates are who has the better systematic theology? Who presents the gospel better? Should you use movie clips? Should you not use movie clips? Should you have fog machines? Should you have not have fog machines? Should they, I mean, all these different things. You should, I've, told, I've said it many, many times. Said The sermon's going to sound the same because Paul's camping on the same thing. You should go to a church seminar or a church growth seminar. You would be surprised at what they would tell you you need to do in order for your church to grow. And it's picking one of these things. Is it Apollos? Do we do it the way Apollos does it? Do I do it the way Paul does it? If Peter visited, I think he did. Do we do it the way Peter does it? I bet that was a vocal way of doing it. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) Who do we choose? Does that sound familiar to us? It is all of that stuff that Paul calls immaturity. He calls them infants in Christ, fleshy people. Believers, no doubt. I think from the text it indicates that. But he calls them believers who, who are, if I get this Greek word correct, I believe I have it right, and that means you are people who are characterized, behaving as though you are fleshy people. They were not acting according to the Spirit. The problem that we have, I think, today, and I have zero doubt that it was existing in Corinth, is each camp believed they were right. Right? Do we follow Apollos? Because, trust me, that's who we ought to follow. No, 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 no. We follow Paul. Paul planted us, remember? Paul spent 18 months here. Yeah, but have you heard of Paul? He's a pretty good speaker. Paul, man, he's kind of boring. (laughs) Same arguments. They both thought they were right and that their view and their view of the gospel was central. And I'm sure many here have the same opinion, but we don't do it exactly like this. If we don't do it exactly this way, and believe exactly like this about all these non required truths and non gospel centered truths. I'm gonna get, you may get more frustrated with me. My rule remains the same. I'll meet anybody anytime to dis- discuss this stuff as long as you buy lunch. But I believe that there are a handful of undeniable, absolute truths that you must have in order to come to faith in Christ. It is a shorter list than we want to admit. And we need unity on those things. But you probably not like me. I have dozens of items on that list. And I have found myself doing the same thing. Except I say it this way. So who who are you reading? Who are you listening to preach? Because I know that, that whoever you tell me, you know I'm either with you or I'm against you, right? Mm-hmm. It's what we're looking for, am I right? Because if someone lists something that we don't like, what do we go? Ah, ah. just doesn't know the Lord well. <laughs> if Paul was with you, you know what he would say? Immaturity. You don't even know anything about him. But you based your opinion over that he listened to somebody. You can't be in that camp though. You can't listen to that that guy. I'm not talking about crazy people. I'm not talking about people who do not preach the gospel. Here's the problem is your list may not have gospel centered things on it. It may have just a bunch of preferences. And we say things like well, you better believe this and do it this way or I'm out. So here's the story of what's fired me up. <laughs> Pastor friend of mine is merging with another church. God forbid that they were to listen to this podcast because they'll know who it is. <laughs> I have an opportunity to revive a dying church that has a lot of people, but the pastor's retiring. This church has buildings. This other church uh, that my friend is pastoring is very healthy. Uh, It's also large, and they have an opportunity to um, move into this building that's very well located uh, to reach people for the gospel. It is a no-brainer. This church with a bunch of people that has property in a very great location where people need to hear the gospel in a very, very great area for missions, (laughs) they need a pastor. This church has a pastor, a lot of people, And they're looking for a place. And they're both Baptists. So this should not surprise you about what I'm going to say. The merge may not happen because there's a debate about which statement of faith that the Baptists have ever had that they're going to agree on. As if any of them are actually liberal. And he's having to moderate meetings between a bunch of fleshy people who have said things like, If we don't adopt, I'm out. Then get out. Because Paul would call you fleshy. I don't really want you to leave. And like I said, you're going to be the recipients of something that we don't really have much of a problem with, I wouldn't think. But I want to prevent us from having a problem. And these people are fighting. And yet, there's a university sitting right beside with thousands of students, many of them international, that this church has the ability to reach for the gospel. It might not happen because somebody doesn't like another Baptist statement of faith. What a shame. A wonderful opportunity right in front of them, and they can't see it because they are blinded by their own, their own, not God's, their own theological blinders. And they care more about their tertiary theological positions than they do about the gospel. And Paul is saying, you bunch of immature, fleshy infants who should be off milk by now, but instead you're still wondering about who has the best camps Who's got the best leadership? And I'm telling you, the gospel is the cross. It is Christ crucified, and that is foolishness to the unbeliever. And the only way it can be changed is if the Spirit of God does something in the heart of the unbeliever. And so I just wonder, in my own sinful heart, in mine, not yours. I'm talking about me now. I wonder why Jason Williams gets more fired up about someone not agreeing with my theological position than I do about people going to hell. Why am I more passionate about that? Why do I get more passionate about which pastor I follow or read than I do about the marriages crumbling around me? Why do I spend more time reading about controversies within the Christian community trying to see which side I'm on? And how to make sure I can defend that side, then I have a passion for the Word of God. I spend more time talking to people about spiritual stuff than I ever do praying and asking God to send the Spirit. Which according to First Corinthians 2 is the only way the gospel works. I'm quick to defend my points of what I believe on just about every theological argument out there. And I know the theology of prayer, but I don't pray. That's fleshy. And I think Paul would look at me and say, What you want solid food for, bro? You're still on milk, you can't even pray. And this is not to say, because we have a lot of theological people in here, I am not (laughs) saying that theology doesn't matter. It is vital to understand what we believe about God. And there are secondary issues, such as baptism, that do separate denominations, and we believe in immersion, and that separates us, and that's okay. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that I will not cooperate with someone who disagrees with how I baptize. That's insane. I love theological stuff. Our men's meeting in our church is absolutely awesome. And if you're not in it, you are missing it. It's awesome. I love discussing theology, hearing different positions. It challenges me. It makes me study the Word more. But much of what we are studying is not primary to the gospel itself. But if I enjoy that more than I enjoy reading this, or praying, or repenting, or sharing my faith, or discipling my children, or visiting those who are in need, or listening to people who are hurting, then I am an infant in Christ, controlled by the flesh instead of the Holy Spirit. Are we as Christians like these in Corinth? where we battle out of jealousy and strife over which camp? I just wonder. I'm almost over it, and we're going to move on. <laughs> but if, if you're anything like me, I wonder what would happen to Sovereign Life Fellowship if all the energy and time I've spent doing that, I prayed. If all the energy and time I've spent doing that, I sought the Holy Spirit to come and move among us. Or prayed for the missionaries that we support. I just wonder what the result would be. What would the impact on the church be? I intend, as your pastor, to find out. And I would ask you not to lay down your theological positions not what I'm asking. Lay down your passions for some of those positions that are not gospel crucial, and route that passionate energy into prayer for our church, for missions, and for the families in this church who are hurting, who need God to do amazing things in their lives. I think we would see amazing things happen. I'm over it. Well, Paul's going to go even deeper into this foolishness. Now he will target not only himself, but he will also target Apollos. He then says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. Let me translate. Table waiters. You know what Paul is? Paul, You know what I am? You know what Apollos is? We're servants. We just wait tables. Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Paul says, I planted. Planted the church. Apollos came in and he watered. There's work that has clearly been done by Paul and work that has been done by Apollos. They expended energy and time to work with the Corinthians. There is a calling for leaders to lead. It's important. We're voting on new elders today. There's a calling for leaders to lead And there are, as we will learn further in this letter, there is a calling for each of us in this room to operate with the gift that we've been given by Christ for the building up of His church. And we cannot de-emphasize the calling for believers to go to work for building up the kingdom of God. But I want to share with you some really, really good news. Church strategy. Are you ready? It's good news for me as a pastor I love and cherish this news today more than I ever did when I started on this journey in Christian ministry. I hope it brings you great joy to you, and I hope it protects you as this church grows from all the church growth ideas that we are so easily manipulated by. Are you ready? Are y'all ready? We are not responsible for the growth of the church. I'm going to say it again. We are not responsible for the growth of the church. God is. Praise the Lord. God grows his church. That is wonderful, peaceful, reassuring, encouraging news to me. And there are several reasons why that truth matters, but let me tell you one of them. If it is up to me, we are in trouble. And I know the other elders and the other potential elders, you are not any better off. Some more reasons the truth matters. Paul has already made the argument that you can't discover the unknowable God without the Holy Spirit. And so early on in chapter 1, if you remember, he made this statement, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So see, if we can can come to the Lord on our own without the help of the Holy Spirit, then that leaves us some room to boast. You can say, look what I did. Look at the work I've done. But the work of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And here's why Paul says that, so that no one can boast. Prior to the work of the Holy Spirit, spirit the cross is foolishness it will not make sense and now in the area of the growth of the church god says i grow it yeah. it's not up to me it's not up to the elders and you better be glad because this church would never grow but it doesn't mean that we don't work we do We are called to lead. We are called to work by the strength of God. We can plant. We are called to plant. We are called to water. But the only one who makes the plant grow is God. And then Paul, earlier in that same passage, wants to emphasize the point that he and Apollos are nothing. And that means, folks, I am nothing. And that is humbling. Because I want to think that I am something. I I want to. I I want to think that I am something. And and most of us in this room have the same thought. If I was in charge of that ministry, you ever said this? That thing would work better. (laughs) Because we think. We think that we're something. Paul, who I would say was something, (laughs) Like, if Paul's having lunch today in town, I'm meeting with him because I think he's something. Do you know what Paul would tell me when I met with him? Listen, Jason, I'm nothing. It is God who does this work. And the kind of thinking that thinks it's up to me is a fleshy thought that brings glory to me. So, our life fellowship cannot do that why it is silly and useless to have these divisions. Because they are wasteful. Because here's how it works for us. And and we got a lot of smart people in the room. That's that's wonderful for our church and incredibly scary for me. If I go off track, like, people are meeting with me. (laughs) But I need you to understand something. Every one of you, if you had to go plant a church, you would design it your way. And in that DNA is this thought process. If we did it this way, it would work better. And that makes us think that we have something to do with that work. If I did it this way, it would work better. We're not just talking about numerical growth. Spiritual growth, yes, but yes, numerical growth is in mind. And here's why I know this. Small churches and their staff tend to think that big churches and their staff, the only reason they're big, they're not preaching the gospel. If they were preaching the gospel, they wouldn't have that growth. It's true. You've all thought that. And big churches... Think that small churches won't grow because they won't lead well or make changes that they think they need to make to engage the culture or whatever phrase Andy Stanley has thrown out that week. (laughs) Can't believe I just said that. And here's the reality. Are you ready? There is truth in both of those statements. We are not healthy because we are small, and we are not healthy because we are large. We are only healthy when we are growing spiritually. And in this passage, and in others, not divided over stupid things. That's what Paul spends four chapters to the Corinthians, four chapters denouncing their divisions. Denouncing it. Ephesians 4, 5 through 6 is our older reading. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But I believe it, folks. We really do think that our ideas would work. If I could just do it this way, or if I could surround myself. I've had this thought. This is like confession time. Totally not in the notes. I had this thought early on in this church. We planted this church. We had like, I don't know, 12, 13 people. Like Mark was here and, and Mark was here. <laughs> and we had, we had a very small group. Jeremy and Tessa showed up. Why they stayed, I have no idea. Just a little bit of group of people. And I remember thinking, if I could just get people who followed my guys... To show up, if I could just get some like-minded people who, who, who listen to the same guys I went to and go to the same seminars that I go to, this thing would blow up. That's what I thought. If I could just surround myself with the right people from the right camp, if they think just like I do about every biblical issue, then I would see the Lord move like never before. As if growing God's church could be boiled down to some mathematical formula. Do this, do this, growth. But that's how we think. Let me help us out. That thinking is profound arrogance when God says, you plant, you water, I grow it. And by the way, in case you're wondering, good luck on surrounding yourself with a bunch of people who think exactly like you do. <laughs> the church, historically, has never been able to pull that off. Trust me, if you get, I have friends who think just like I do until we go on long trips. <laughs> and I'm like, you said what? <laughs> Well, I didn't know you believed, it. yeah, well, uh, uh, when we get off at the next door, let's leave him there, you know, but if that's still your thinking, if you're undeterred, I hope you get your opportunity to do that. I had mine, this is so funny, this is in my notes, I had mine when I first started pastoring my first church, I thought to myself, finally, I'm going to get all the things I've always wanted to do, I'm going to get all those old, stick in mud pastures out of my way, amen? Ain't that right, Wayne? If I could just get these old guys I love Wayne, Wayne knows I'm kidding But if I thought I thought people like Wayne were the problem The the reason the church wouldn't grow Is these guys, you know They just need to move out of the way And then the Lord went, (laughs) alright And then guys like Wayne Said at coffee shops going Have you heard about Jason Williams (laughs) It's so funny, he tried this And it was terrible (laughs) Wayne still does that by the way After every elders meeting. (laughs) My ideas failed. God and God alone grows the church. God and God alone grows the church. And that only happens when God removes blinders off people's eyes through the Spirit. How much more should we be praying for the church than arguing over theological debates I believe clearly that we are called to plan and water which i believe can be summed up with other texts in minds for me to four things preach the word preach the word of god every sunday preach the word of god love people love people Pray often and lead well. Do these things not to get growth. We do these things to be faithful to our calling as pastors and members of a local body. And I believe God gives the growth that he desires to give. Strange sermon for a day when we're going to have pastor appreciation. (laughs) appreciating those who serve. It's a biblical idea. It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm thankful for our church. Our church has always made us feel appreciated, and I thank you for that. It brings joy to my heart, um, for sure. This job is weighty. It is difficult, and yet it is full of amazing joy. But please listen to me, church. Don't ever make the mistake that I or the other elders or even you yourself are responsible for the growth of church. We are called to be faithful and to work within the body with the gifts we've been given by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that is hard work. It is sacrificial work, it is draining work, it can even be frustrating work sometimes, but it is clearly work that all of us have been called to do. In fact, I would say it is the hardest thing we will ever do. But the work, the results of that work. The growth from that work is not a result of my working. It is a result of God's sovereign decision to grow us. Wayne said this to me. Every time Wayne talks, he has these nuggets of wisdom. And Wayne said a long time ago, about a year ago, he said to me that some of the men that he has known who have been most faithful to the Word of God have some of the smallest churches. Because if if we get all the numbers right, everything works the right way, growth just happens, then how do we explain missions? Where people can go to an unreached people group and exhaust their entire life for the gospel to see a handful of people. Are we going to say they didn't have the formula right? Is that really a reflection of them? Or is it not just us being obedient? to what God's called us to do and let God grow what he chooses to grow. And we must be faithful to our call, work us unto the Lord, and then let the Lord do what he decides to do. I think it's just that simple. Let me tell you, as a pastor, it's 1138. I'm already running behind. Food's next door. Just a quick little advertisement, the easier concerned. As a pastor, it frees me up from the emotions of up and down congregations. So let me give you an example. Last week, we had to add chairs. So we had people coming in. Uh, Daniel and I, I, I think Tessie, but Tessie was the out, we were all out getting chairs and moving things around and getting people. And, and I was like, oh, this is great, you know. And the pastor's tendency, Lord's at work. Today, we could have taken off the back five rows. <laughs> it, but understanding this text and that God's in charge of this, it frees me from this emotion. And so many pastors are tied into that. Don't let me as your pastor be tied into that. And you as your as my people, don't get tied into that. Let's get tied into us being faithful to work with the gift that God has called us to in our church and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, I'm almost done. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. First, I think we see Paul uh, telling these believers who are fighting over their camps. I believe here, I'm going to make... Um, a guess here. I think there's a couple of debates here, but I think Paul is claiming that he and Apollos are actually united, that we're one. We're one in this work. just wonder if maybe they had conversations about the church. Maybe they met at some local diner or a local Starbucks <laughs> just to shake their heads at all the infighting going on at Corinth. But I think he's saying that we're actually on the same page. And then he says this, and remember, we get paid, we get our heavenly rewards Not based on results, but based on our labors. Boy, I'm happy for that because I've been in some small churches. (laughs) And then in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul speaks to his and Apollos calling as workers, the apostles, those who are in leadership, that they... The members of the church in Corinth are God's field, God's building. It is so important that we be unified because these believers in Corinth and and we today in this local church are a part locally of the same field, the same building and when you join this church when you call this church your home you're becoming a part of a local body and you are becoming a part of a local field the same body one building not a piece here and a piece over here if that was the case how would the roof hold up with all these different camps and different pieces <coughs> paul is saying these divisions over leadership and thinking that worldly wisdom or ways is necessary for the gospel to work and for the church to grow is dumb and it is evidence of jealousy And strife and immaturity. Stop. So I would ask you, as I've had to ask myself this week, why do we act the way we do? Maybe it's because we're unredeemed. Maybe it's because we don't really have the Holy Spirit. We just have heavy opinions. Or maybe it is because you're a believer, but you're immature, you're selfish, and you're arrogant, you're divisive, and you're full of strife. And how would you know if that would be you? The test I've had to put on myself is how engaging am I of other believers who don't share my exact beliefs on non central gospel ideas? Do I engage with them or do I write them off? How much time do I spend before the Lord praying for my church and asking for the Holy Spirit to come compared to all these other things that I like to get myself involved in? And I think that I'm immature. That's where I've landed. And I need to grow. And that may be you too. The gospel calls us to be different. And because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be different. This church in Corinth had the ability to be united. And until they are united, they don't get solid food. What are we missing when we're not united? interesting. This church has not experienced division and I pray that we don't. But the way that we don't is preaching sermons like this. Don't let ourselves get involved in that. You might say, well, all this talk about the gospel, what is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the gospel. The gospel is you were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally all by yourself and that sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. Who, despite your sin and despite your active rebellion against him, loved you so much that he sent his only son to take your place on the cross, take your punishment. And that those who would repent and believe in Christ could have their sins transferred to tr- Christ and Christ's righteousness transferred to us and that we could stand now before a holy God. My wife asked me a good question a few days ago. I hate it when she tells me something cuz she's almost always right. <laughs> and she said, "Have you ever really explained repentance?" And I was like, "Well, everyone knows that." Well, <laughs> here's repentance. Repentance is, Lord, the way I have been going I don't want to go that way anymore. I don't want to go that way because that's the wrong way. I'm coming to you because you are the right way and I'm repenting of that way. I'm walking away from that. Now, will you still fail after salvation? Yes, but you will be different because you will see your sin and you will want to walk toward holiness. And that's how you know You've been changed by the gospel. Let me pray for us. We'll come and we'll sing a song and I'll come back and give us a benediction and then we'll go do what good church people do and that's eat well. Pray your heart's been stirred by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do need help. Lord, I am such a divisive person in my own mind. I have so many things that I think Um, should be a certain way. God, I spend a lot of time thinking about that and defending that and reading about that. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue to grow me out of immaturity and help me be a person who pursues your faith for our church, that our people can grow, that the gospel would go forth. That our missionaries would receive more than just money from me or from this church. But they would receive a man whose heart is pouring out to you, God. And I confess my sin before this church and before you, Lord, that I have not been that man. And God, I pray that you would mold me and shape me to be more like Christ. And God, I pray for other believers in here, Lord, who I think, no doubt, because we're human would struggle in the same areas. I pray, God, that we would have a passion for unity. God, I pray that we, as elders and as members of this church, we would defend our church against disunity and strife and arrogance and immaturity and fleshy acts. God, that we would be um, very tuned into your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that when people come into this church, May they experience a church that believes and trusts you to do mighty and wonderful things among us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.